Welcome to this week's Monday meeting. Today is June 5th, 2023. Monday meetings are a chance for motion designers from around the globe to connect, ask questions, share inspiration, and engage with industry-leading artists on a level playing field. My name is Mark Cernosia, and I'll be your host today. And today we'll be having an open discussion. If you have a question, please use the raise your hand function in Zoom to be called on. Uh, if you're unable to do that and you have a question, just type question into the chat and we will try to ask them for you. As usual, this call will be recorded. So if you have any concerns about what was said or if you slipped up and said something under NDA or whatever, we'll chop that out of the recording uh, and get that posted as soon as we can. Um, just opening topics again, Camp MoGraph coming up week after week. It's getting closer. So excited. Uh, just big shout out to all of the sponsors that support us, uh, being Otoy, Maxon, Spilt, and Grayscale Gorilla. So thank you all for supporting what we are doing with camp. Um, outside of that, we can just start kicking this thing off. So if you have any questions or any thoughts or anything you want to ask the group, feel free to raise your hand. You can do that in that participants tab, uh, there in zoom. Um, and while we wait for any of that to populate, um, we will, uh, I'll just, yeah, I'm already looking. Okay. Sarah's got her hand up. Sarah. Welcome to Monday meeting. Great to see you. Hi, good morning. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Happy Monday. Happy uh, Monday to you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's see. This may be a little specific, but it's kind of a new question, a new situation I feel like I'm dealing with as a freelancer. Uh, so I got connected with somebody who um, is working with like a, a volunteer organization, volunteer-based organization, and I kind of just got them reached out as a possible freelancing opportunity. Um, and my main concern is I wasn't actively looking for volunteer positions, but I find, hey, I like this person, um, but I'm worried that this is not something that they have a budget for. Um, so I'm wondering about just like the community's experience with volunteer type positions and kind of how you A, navigate that conversation and B, if it becomes something that you, what what kinds of benefits do you find in that if you find it's not really a paid position and you might wanna go forward with it? That's a great question to the group. Um, and Sam, I see your hands up. Is, do you have a response for it or do you have a new question? Yeah, a response. Oh yeah, go for it. Yeah. And then Natasha, after after Sam, hop in. So I probably do an unhealthy amount of volunteer projects for people. Um, I I try to always at least have one kind of ongoing volunteer-based client uh, because I really like working with people. I really like helping people. And I do find it does a lot for me when I do have a high-paying kind of commercial-facing client to kind of help balance my psyche and spirit uh, around knowing that I'm doing a good service for somebody who wouldn't be able to afford anything like what I'm offering them. Um, I, you know, I'm very selective about the people who I do that with on an ongoing basis. So I have uh, an author who's in her nineties, who I've been working with for several years, 
who's a, an amazing author. Her work has like worldwide notoriety, um, but she has no idea what she's doing technology wise. And she needs a lot of help. Um, and she has a few other people who work with her on a volunteer basis. Occasionally she pays one of us for something very specific, but uh, it's been incredibly fulfilling to work with her, um, uh, you know, on a soul level. Um, and whenever I'm doing corporate work that I hate, I feel so much better about myself knowing that that's there. Um, and then the other thing that I do a lot when I do kind of smaller little helping projects with people is I have a, a site that functions as a kind of a tip jar and a, um, uh, a uh, like review page. So it's called Buy Me a Coffee. And it, it's a really nice site because people can just, you know, share a comment of how you were with them and they can, you know, buy you a coffee. And I've been bought lots of coffee. So that, that's a nice way to kind of balance the scales there as well. Nice. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Sam. We'll have to link to that buy me a coffee thing. That's cool. Uh, Natasha. Go for it. Hi. Uh, hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Um, I founded a nonprofit, so I'm coming from that perspective. Um, I'm also actually doing branding for a nonprofit right now. So um, when I had a nonprofit, I had a really I had people that volunteered for me for all kinds of things. And I have to admit that my um, boundaries and my organization was like pretty poor as far as you know utilizing their volunteer skills so you kind of have to be prepared for that because especially if it's a small nonprofit or you know not super established like it's like there's a mission that we have to get accomplished and always like the people probably always be like scrambling to like do way more than they have time to do and might not be very organized um about like what content they uh, need to give you in order to complete it. And, um, you know, like what, what their objective is. And then there might be like a bunch of board members um, that have different opinions about what you're doing. So you have to be a little bit prepared for it to be like chaotic. Maybe you won't have that experience, but you do have to be prepared for that. Um, I did have a, a volunteer graphic designer um, do uh, branding for like the logo design and and branding for my nonprofit and that was very successful because she had extremely clear boundaries about what she was willing and not willing to do and she also had a very detailed timeline and um, from my side like I tried to make sure that um, you know the other people on my team like they had input into um, what the final decision was for like the logo and the and the colors and everything but i tried to make it so like i'm not going to get too many people involved um with like the decision making process you know nonprofits are a lot more like democratic than uh or try to be a lot more democratic than a business but sometimes that causes problems um you know like you have to before I was saying yes, I would find out if there's like one person that's the final decision maker, because otherwise it will just be a never ending revisions and opinions and everything. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, oh, go ahead, Sarah. No. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense because one thing I was thinking a lot about is like, it's so easy as an artist to let yourself get 
like taken advantage of because you're like, I'm doing a good thing and I want to do a good job. But as a freelancer, I'm like, I also have to make space for being a business. <laughs> so I like that thought of just keeping the boundaries in and 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 also, yeah, like double checking because it does sound like with this uh, opportunity, it's um, kind of helping uh, like their sort of founder is the one that's kind of making a lot of the design work. So it sounds like they don't have anybody, <laughs> anybody doing anything. Um, uh, so you kind of want to, like, it sounds like all those decisions go straight to the top, but hopefully there's not a lot of intermediate. So I, she did the branding and the, the design and she handed that over to me. And then I was like, oh, I need to make a website. Can you help with that? And she's like, here's what I'm available for. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I can give my feedback. You can use the brand design I gave you and then I can look it over and give my feedback. So she was just like very very clear about what she was available for. Yeah. Yeah. I think I feel that too. Cause one thing I was like, I need to, again, stress I'm a motion designer. Like I can do graphic design, but I think like to volunteer to outside of my specialty might do both of us a disservice. So I, I think it's, it's comforting to kind of hear that. It's like, it's okay. It's okay to volunteer exactly the skills you have. Yeah. And I, I think that's exactly how you should go about it. Like I have these skills. Sure. I could, I probably could cobble together a website or whatever it may be, but that's just, you know, if you're really trying to help and, you know, essentially be a partner for them, um, you want to line them up with the best players possible. Right. So um, I think staying in your lane essentially is, uh, is totally fine, especially in a volunteer uh, kind of nonprofit uh, sort of relationship. But I would also say this, like, I would say that if it is a volunteer thing and it is behind a cause or, you know, a group or whatnot that you're, you know, really fond of, um, I think that's a, a great thing to do because you're right. A lot of these places don't have the budgets or, honestly, even the like knowledge of what they need, you know? So if anything, you're really helping them think through that process a little bit more. And one other thing that, you know, has popped up recently, just with a lot of people talking about work and trying to find work and whatnot is like, even if studios or agencies are, have dried up with some work, there's always an organization that needs something. And if you're not necessarily getting paid for that, okay, that's some that, you know, that's a something that every individual needs to um, decide on their own. But what I'm trying to get to is you could almost treat them as a direct to client client. Right. So like if you haven't done a whole lot of like DTC work, but you've worked with studios and whatnot, this might really start giving you some exposure to the entire process. Right. Not just the animation or not just, uh, you know, executing the storyboard, but it's really you're handling kind of soup to nuts there. So in a way, it might be an interesting kind of experiment. <laughs> lack of better word for right now, um, to really hone your craft and, and figure out how to work with direct to client, you know, and how to really kind of create your workflow and your process for doing that. Because 
as we all know, as soon as you start getting revisions and, you know, you get all the different players in, it can get chaotic. And how do you handle that? How do you handle your communications? You know, so I think there's a lot to be learned outside of just the art portion itself and the deliverables themselves. So um, I think, you know, when people do this volunteer work, uh, you obviously need to get something out of it, whether it's um, just straight up fulfillment and you're excited to help out, or if you want to test a new process or, you know, a lot of times these nonprofits, it doesn't mean there's no money, right? It just means they're, there's, they're doing something for a good cause. They have, geez, I don't want to get in. I feel like that's somewhat of a loaded thing right there, but uh, there's budget and you could say, Hey, I normally charge $5,000 for this. I can do it for you for, you know, $500. Cause that's going to cover whatever I need to cover for this month. And then you could, you know, easily submit to them if they're okay with that easily submit to them a uh an invoice for $500 but it's uh it starts at 5 grand you discount it $4500 and you charge them 500 and then you know again I'm not an accountant but you now have like this document saying that you've essentially volunteered $4500 of your time and I don't know if that's a tax write off or if there's any benefits uh, from that. But, uh, you know, I think it's always something worth asking for. And if they don't have budget or whatnot, then you can have that conversation. But, um, I, I definitely think that, um, people I know in that space, they have budget, they don't have crazy budgets, but they also know you're taking time out of your day and out of your schedule to work on their stuff. So, your mileage may vary. Everyone can, you know, kind of go about it their own way, but, you know, hopefully those are just a couple thoughts to, to spark something. Um, Roland and then Dreyson. Hi, can you hear me? All good. Yep. Okay. Um, a couple of things. Um, I wanted to start off with something else, but since you talked about not for profits and budgets, um, I once did quite a number of projects for non-profit. And it turned out that the CEO was taking home about $600,000 per year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yep. Amongst other things. Um, but I think help. Help as much as you can. And I think I've seen Sarah at the MDA slides. Slack MDA. Yeah. So if you think you need help, um, I'm just put out a call out there and see if others can come in. And then last thing is when helping someone or even with, if you're getting paid, you have to know how long you're in it for. Mm. And if you're not getting paid, I, you know, it's safe to say it's even more important. So you got to ascertain how much time and for how long, right? How much time within a week and then for how many weeks you'll be, you know, with them. It's like super important, regardless of the money. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that's it. Yeah, and I, I would second that too, as like create specific boundaries, whether it's a timeline or a deliverable or, or whatnot. Jason, go ahead. Hi, everybody. Happy Monday morning. Happy Monday. 
I just kind of wanted to reiterate what everyone else here has said. You know, I think clear communication is kind of your big thing, making sure that you know exactly what you're getting yourself into, laying your boundaries out, that kind of stuff. Um, the other part about that, too, is if this is a free project where there is no budget, there's no money, and you were getting fulfillment out of it, typically that means you have a little more control of creative. So as long as you're accomplishing their goals, you might be able to find some way to do something cool for your demo reel or your portfolio, something that could lead to additional work as well. Uh, now I've noticed a lot of the project that I've worked on for volunteer stuff typically does not lead to other cool work, but it's a really cool way to like try out a new style, something different. Um, I'm actually working on right now that has buzzed a little bit of, of excitement in, in the firefighter industry. And I'm hoping that leads to some other things, but, um, just know that, yeah, just because it's a nonprofit doesn't mean there's no money there. Sometimes there is money. Sometimes it could lead to other work, but just, you know, have fun with it and just know that, you know, if you are donating your time, it means you get a call more of the shots. Yeah, that's a great point too. Uh, I'm just coming through the chat here real quick as well. And Evan's saying that FIFA, the world, you know, football association, i.e. soccer here in the States is also operated as a nonprofit. So go figure, you know, like, <laughs> uh and Natasha also said that in the not in the US nonprofits do have to file a form um it called a 990 and essentially I I believe and Natasha correct me if I'm wrong but it um essentially it shows like all the financials and whatnot you have to disclose all that so if you were kind of curious on where that nonprofit may stand financially or whatnot, that might be something to check out. And I'm, I'm pretty sure those are public record, um, public records you can find online. Um, but yeah, uh, Sarah, is there any other thoughts or did, did that kind of get to the, to the point for you? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was all awesome advice. Um, especially just kind of, just ways of thinking about it too. I think it can be a little bit um, both exciting and, and a little nerve wracking, right. To, to think about taking on a free project, especially during times when things are like, I was looking for paid projects, <laughs> but I'm like, well, you know, this is an old coworker. We'll see, you know, we'll see where it takes us, you know? And totally. I think really it's just wrapping my head around how does one think about doing that kind of work? So I appreciate it. Thanks all. Thank you so much. Well, and you know, the other thing, now that you say it's like an old coworker and whatnot too, like this is again, part of the networking, mm-hmm. right? Like you're going to come in, help your old coworker out and word spreads, people talk to people. Right. And so again, I, I feel like it, it is up to every individual to, you know, find their boundaries and whatnot, but stuff like this, I think it could really like help land the next thing or, or whatnot. Like, it, especially if you're doing good work for good people and for a good cause, I want to say in my heart that there'd be some momentum behind that, you know, and you'd get some, some good uh, love out of that. So hopefully that happens for you. <laughs> um, and actually, uh, Sandro put in the chat here, something that might, um, a question that might kind of, you know, go off what we were just speaking about. And, and here's, Here's the question. It says, I work in Switzerland and here the motion design industry is still tiny. Our, at our company, a large worldwide insurance firm, 
we do explainer videos. So one of our bigger projects was supposed to be a high level explainer about the company and its purpose. We all already did storyboards, style frames, script and everything. Now the head of communications wants to do video with footage and stock material. He is still quite old school and I think he doesn't get the value of motion design. So the question is, how would you go about how would you go about to get someone like that on board and sell them on the benefits of the motion design? Mind, uh, keep in mind, we're in a country that is still way behind motion design. Thanks. So um, I think that's an interesting question because, again, it's somewhat in the same boat as Sarah's question, um, just in terms of like, yeah, I don't want to say selling it in, but really, you know, just talking and showing the benefits of what can be done with motion. Um, does anyone have thoughts on this? And feel free to just pop in if you do. Or I should say, has anyone dealt with this? Like, I, I can't imagine this is a new type of thing. You know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, creatives and like creative directors, art directors, whatnot, who they, they just know what they know and they want that. Um, Roland, go ahead. I see your hands up. Um, I've seen, I've seen stats, statistics um, that look at photos relative to videos and animation and things related to ROI. I sort of recall, but can't be certain if there's something similar between motion graphics or animation and video. So maybe a bit of Googling may help. Yeah, yeah. ROI, animation or explainer video versus um, video. Mm -hmm. And also if you go to a few companies who are well-known for explainer videos, they may have statistics uh, related yeah. to this you know yeah like, that's why we're doing actually the videos because greater roi blah 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 you may get um related information there yeah yeah you know, that's um, a yeah great idea hmm. uh go ahead sam i see your hands up as well yeah so uh i think one thing that can always drive the motivation around that is um you know, especially for something like an explainer video where you're trying to show aspects of a given product that may not be achievable with traditional uh, photography and videography, or that would be enormously expensive to try to achieve with traditional photography and videography. And so if you kind of think about, okay, here's, especially if you storyboard it, and then you kind of price per shot, and I mean, you don't have to go crazy with detail, but just think about like, okay, here's all the equipment we would need to rent. We need to rent a physical location. We need to have this many people on set to achieve these shots. Mm -hmm. And you start to look at those costs compared to what the same thing would be in motion. You know, it's, it's almost never going to cost more to do motion design. Um, and then the other aspect is, the, that impossible factor of you can do things in motion design that will be better at showing off some feature of the product that can't be shown off in the real world. Um, that's just, you know, showing like 
for uh, some products that I've done, you have to do like a cutaway, right? And it, you're not going to be able to do that cutaway on the real product, at least not in a way that's effective, and then show why each of these layers are involved in you know the material of the product. Um, so there's the kind of practical cost benefit, but then there's also we can make a better piece of content that will get the customer to understand this easier and, and more viscerally um, by showing it with, especially like, you know, if you needed to show heat dispersion, um, you'd be able to, you know, do something with like X particles. You're not gonna be able to do that in the real world, uh, at least not in any kind of cost-effective way. So I think that's a really good way of thinking about the, the practical and then the kind of, maybe not emotional, but, um, the otherworldly aspect that you can evolve in motion um, that is very engaging for a customer, especially, I like to use the word edutainment whenever an explainer video comes up because some explainer videos are so boring that no customer is actually gonna wanna watch them. They'd rather just buy the product, not understanding it, than be bored. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you can have something that's edutainment where it's actually an engaging thing to watch and it, and it uh, sub, uh, subversively teaches them about the product at the same time that they're being entertained. That's the best type of explainer videos, at least in my opinion. Totally. And hey, Sandro, I see you're, uh, you're joining. Uh, it looks like you might be on a, a commute or something right now, but uh, hop in here if you can. Uh, I see your hand is up. Oh. Looks like he might have just froze too. Let's see, I'll keep my eyes on him. See if he unfreezes. Um, yeah, I, you know, I I think one hundred percent what Sam was saying there. I also believe like if there's already been so much work with like storyboards and style frames and all that, like uh, the, my best analogy is like the building a house. So it seems like. They've already got all the framing done and the wiring kind of roughed in and, and they're ready to really start building this house. And it seems like they now want to like go back to the drafting table and see like what they can make with the cheapest materials or something like that. Um, so my argument there would be um, there's already been a ton of work leading up to where we are. And to go backwards, it's probably going to take more time and resources than to execute what um, we've been driving the ship towards. Not only that, motion does have the benefits of the the design and right and the you're not limited to what you're shooting. You're not limited to the stock footage you're buying um or whatnot so i think there's just way more flexibility there and i mean in this day and age everything's moving all type all designs we we live in an age where we're all you know essentially just used to that and if we don't see that then it sometimes it's a little weird and then the other thing i was going to say too is even if with the live action if they wanted to go live action with stock footage and and whatnot there's still going to be motion in it <laughs> <laughs> there's still going to be logos. There's still going to be whatever. Like if there needs to be a UI or something animated in the screen that the stock footage has. 
So I, I think there's an opportunity either to combine them or just stay the course. Uh, and I see a few hands up. So Sarah and then Dreisen. Oh, Sarah, you're still on mute. There you go. <laughs> I'll add a little to that. Um, uh, yeah, I always found like one thing that's nice to describe when you're trying to pitch a pure motion is uh, you can also say like you can get a level of specificity that you can't necessarily get with just stock. You know, like like um, you know we were just talking about earlier. Like you can get those really specific diagrams in, and and you can kind of pitch it like that. Like we have so much control over the look, and also something that's been great with motion too is you can kind of pitch continued evergreen use as much as you can. Like hey, if you keep totally. Um, you know, if you design it in certain ways, you can kind of reuse assets or you can pitch like other ways to, to use it across multiple platforms. So, so that's like another value add, um, that like you may be able to kind of add in without, maybe that kind of gets you in the land of like, and we will do more work too. Um, so be careful (laughs) with that, but also like recognize, Hey, we, this is a design that's going to go far. You know, that's, that's one, one thought I had too, about just like, the general value that it can add. Totally. And, you know, one thing that has also come up on some of these calls for these type of pieces, designing that system, right? So like you can have an explainer that sure can be evergreen. And then there's 20% that you can plug in different dates or numbers or whatever it is and export that. And now you've got a new video with all the most recent data or whatnot. So you're almost kind of creating a system that can live more than just one video. Go ahead, Jason. I think the hardest challenge here is you have a higher up that's decided to go in a completely different direction. And uh, and the bottom line is whatever they decide, that's that's what's going to go down. Now, that's not to say that you can't, you know, push and persuade and, and that kind of stuff. For example, if you're relying specifically on stock assets to create this thing, like everyone else says, that severely limits the story you can tell to what assets you can find. Beyond that, your competitors can use the exact same stuff. Uh, one of my last full-time jobs, we made this logo with like this like leaf coming out of the ground, had this wireframe, and it was all based on stock assets. And since then, literally every one of that company's competitors is using the exact same asset for all the other stuff. Wow, um, yeah. And so relying on stack assets, assuming this guy has an ego that you're able to be like, yo, you don't want to be like everyone else. Let's not do that. That sucks. You might be able to, to convey them that way. Uh, additionally, when it comes to the the motion design versus stock assets, you were able to version things a lot more efficiently, a lot quicker. So you can be like, yo, yeah, we can do the first one in 16.9, but what about nine by 16 for all the social channels or one by one? That's a lot harder to do with stock assets that you're not shooting for specifically. But in motion, we can do that like a flip of a switch and you can maximize what you're trying to do. So it's definitely an uphill battle in my opinion, but um, there are arguments to be had that, that could help you push your case along. All right. So we'll wrap up our call with that mic drop that Drayson just, I mean, that's pretty much exactly how it should be. Right. I mean, yes, all of it, all of it. Um, Some great points there, Drayson, for sure. And, you know, I never really thought about the stock thing and how your competitor could use the same exact asset. I mean, of course it's like right there. I, I should have seen it, but I never really thought about that. And that's interesting to see. Um, does anyone have thoughts on this or has anyone been in their company or worked with clients where, I mean, it doesn't even have to be like a shift to live action, but 
you know, say you're this far down the the process and you get a curveball. Does anyone have thoughts like this or how you've dealt with it? Or um, even if it wasn't yourself, how like your team member uh, has dealt with it? And feel free, you can just pop in if you would like. Um, hey, I could say yeah, anything. Jeff. So, Good to see you. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I, I think it's already been mentioned, but I think one of the things that's really important is to know like where where the buck stops when you're um, getting buy off for what you've what you're producing. Um, my very, very, very first project out of film school was a big project for a nonprofit, a large nonprofit here in DC. And we pitched an idea to them. Uh, it wasn't motion design. It was primarily um, live action stuff, but we did we did shoot it. Um, but we, you know, we got a certain sign off on the script and got to a certain point and we basically had our first draft edit of that. And then the, the person at the top who was making the final decision actually looked at the project for the first time and was like, uh, no. <laughs> so we had to go back and start over again. And, you know, it all worked out in the end, although we ended up, you know, losing money on it because we obviously had to rehire people and bring them back in and for the shoots and, and whatnot. But, um, that, you know, that's one thing I think is really, really critical, regardless of whether it is a for-profit project or you're working, you know, um, uh, to help out, friends or or another company or whatever it is just i think that's really important to know like where uh who's signing off and when and when they're signing off and you know to get that in for to, to get that sign off as early as possible um i think one of the other things too is um a few years ago i started paying attention to um a lot of the stuff that chris doe is doing over at the future um, I know he's often a controversial figure in in our circles, <laughs> but um, there's a lot of stuff that that they were doing. Like if you look at a lot of the videos that he was doing, where he's talking about design and the business of design, um, and how to interact with clients. And um, there was a really cool thing that I looked at. Um, I actually purchased like a few years ago. Um, it's called the Pitch Kit. Um, it was actually put together by Matthew Encina, who spoke at Camp Mograph, what, two mm. years ago, I think? Yeah. Um, and sort of going through that, it completely changed my philosophy on, you know, pricing projects, going from like an hourly rate to a project-based um, pricing structure. Um, and I made a lot more money that year. <laughs> and <laughs> Not just that, but it, it, it just to totally changed my philosophy on how to approach um, bringing a, a project to a client and, you know, sort of arguing about not arguing, but just, just, just discussing with the client about what's the best approach for for what they're mm -hmm. trying to say, what the what the messages are trying to convey. So um, I, I, you know, for me personally, again, whatever you think of Christo, <laughs> um, that was really valuable just to sort of go through and listen to a lot of what, what they were saying. And, and there were other people too, that, that sort of um, either that, he, that, that he would be interviewing or, or that I came across, you know, when I was Googling in that era. Um, and so, uh, you know, I recommend it just, you know, even for informational purposes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's the future. It's spelled um, 
the future without an e at the end so it's like futur um, <laughs> and they do use futura for all their fonts so <laughs> <Which is kinda Yeah. laughs> nice yeah thanks jeff sure yeah you know and looking back at this question too and kind of rereading it um i guess i'm gonna make a few assumptions here um that they're at a worldwide insurance firm so that's a probably a large company right um the head of communication okay so that's obviously uh probably a c-suite exec right and then wanting to shoot footage and, and i don't know if it means just only use stock or uh actually have like a video shoot and whatnot but the sense I get is, all right, this person, C-suite exec, large company, in their minds, they're probably thinking, well, motion designs, that, that, that's just like cheap. Like we need to go shoot on the new red and we need the whole Ari kit and yada, yada. Like, I feel like there's a lot of kind of old school creatives that to show the worth of this project it needs to be this big blown out photo shoot, video shoot. And we got to get, you know, all these actors or we need to rent a soundstage and like in their head, doing that massive production is going to mean this video is going to be so good. When in a way, it's so subjective, right? You could spend a million dollars, it could suck, right? You could spend $10,000, it could be insanely good. In my head, there's a lot of people at some of these, you know, higher levels that that's how it was always kind of done, right? The ad agency, the large ad buy, lots of big budgets. We have to shoot on the highest res we can and whatever it is. Part of that is so they look good to their higher ups, right? Because if, if they're pulling stuff off on like a shoestring budget and it's doing great, they're probably not going to get the budgets they've been getting, you know, but if they have to go out and spend a million bucks to keep that million dollar budget, we're going to go do that, you know? Um, so unfortunately, Sa Sandro had dropped. Um, so maybe we can try to, maybe he'll pop back in here. We still have about 15 minutes, but I'd be curious to know a little bit more about that. But I have seen that happen in various clients and uh, friends that I've worked with in the past. And, and that's just how it's kind of rolled at their company. And it's kind of like, you, you got to have the Hollywood lights and everything to impress the CEO and the whatever. And it's just not as cool when there's one designer working on a laptop somewhere, you know? Again, all assumptions, but like something tells me there's a that old school mentality kind of sitting in that uh, C-suite there. Um, does anyone else have any other thoughts or questions or anything else for um, for this week? I mean, we still have about 15 minutes and I do have like another uh, um question I, I want to pose to the group, and this actually might be something fun. We haven't really done this before, but um, if, if you want to participate, uh, put your hand up. Um, but let me do this. I'm going to pose this question to the group, and let's kind of do like a rapid fire, okay? 
because this could be just a little snippet. Um, but what is the most valuable piece of advice that you've received from a mentor or a fellow motion designer that has helped shape your career? Now that scene, that might be a really big loaded question, but I'm hoping there might be a couple little nuggets that we could just, you know, each here that might inspire us or have, you know, change our thought on something. So if you want to answer this question, put your hand up and I'll just filter through all the hands that come up. Um, so I will ask the question just one more time. So we hear it. What's a valuable piece of advice you've received from a mentor or a fellow motion designer that has helped shape your career? So we'll start with Sam. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah. So I'm still in the process of, of learning this one because I always overcomplicate everything, but my, from my dad who uh, just recently passed, so I'm really trying to take this to heart now is KISS, uh, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> nice. And how about this? With that advice, what have you done with it? Uh, overcomplicate things. There you um, go. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I, what I try to do is I overcomplicate things on the front end and then I, I try to cut back, um, because I feel the other thing that he always reminded me, which I think is, uh, Rilke, um, it, no, I, no, it's, uh, um, Ray Bradbury, um, only those who go too far. We'll know how far to go it might be Relka. He always quoted both of those. So, um, you know, you have to go beyond where reasonably you want to end up in order to know what to cut back on. Yeah. Um, where if, if you, you don't, you're not willing to take those risks, you can get something simple, but that's doesn't have oomph. Um, and so I try to throw kind of everything at the wall see what sticks and then remove the things that didn't stick well. Nice. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Bryson, you're up next. While freelancing at Swarovski, Steven Anderson told me I was stressed out to the moon. He said, don't stress. This is just motion graphics. It's no big deal. It's just marketing. Uh, so whenever a project gets so overwhelming that I can't breathe, can't function, just want to shut down, I just remember that, oh, yeah. This is just an ad for a medical commercial. This is just an ad for something else, X, Y, Z. I'm not saving lives. I'm just a motion designer. Love it. Does anyone else have um, thought or something they want to share on that? And while, while I pose that to the group, I will, uh, I'll say I've got two that I just kind of thought of. So we'll see how good the, they are. But one... And this is very similar to uh, Dryson's thing. Um, Aaron Draplin, he's one of my favorite designers. He'll be at Camp Mograph, shameless plug. Um, says like, no matter how shitty the job is or how bad your day's going, just remember you're sitting at a desk, probably in air conditioning or in heat, and you're clicking a mouse. You're not on top of a roof at 100 degree weather, banging nails or outside shoveling snow and 30 below, like keeping that perspective, like we're still being creative and, and really trying to, you know, 
be an artist in a way, commercial artist, whatever. The second thing that I uh, had thought of, um, and I've recently tried to put this more into practice, is that if you are working with a client, and this is more for direct to client, but if you're working for a client and they're like, hey, our deadline is July 1st, you might be talking, say, in March, right? That's going to give you three, four months of, of production time. Essentially, you, you want to make sure your production goes for like the last four weeks of that time frame. Because if you start early, you're going to just keep going through rounds of revision. Revi your, your project management gets a lot tougher when that timeline is super long and there's all these kind of like made up deadlines. But if they have a trade show and that's July 1st, starting production June 1st, it, this is all hypothetical. Essentially, you want to kind of wait until the last minute to really rev up because then the machine's going to have to go. There's not going to be time to get to uh, uh, what, you know, two, three days before and like redo the whole thing in a different style. I don't think I'm explaining myself all that well right now, but essentially it's like the longer the timeline, the more, uh, the more time there is to kind of just really nitpick everything. But if you can really wait to that last window of production, it's going to allow you to just run your production and your workflow, how you do it. And it's not going to get disrupted because we have six months before it's due, you know? So it's, it's a hard thing to balance, but that's something that I've really tried to implement. And honestly, it's gone a lot smoother because we don't have so much wiggle room. You have to be direct with your feedback. You have to stay on, on schedule. And uh, I, I've found that to be beneficial uh, in the last few projects I've done. Um, Dreyson and then Jacob. I just forgot to lower my hands earlier. My bad. Oh. <laughs> Go ahead, Jacob. Can you hear me? Uh, so, yeah, one piece of advice for me, I think what I'm hearing again and again is like, nobody will hire you for the work you haven't done before. <laughs> and learning from that is just doing the passion projects and then clients coming to you for that work. So, yeah. I think not, I'm not, not sure what is your experience, but. Yeah, 100%. Just because you, in your head, you can do it, but you have yeah. nowhere to show it or you're not showing it anywhere. No one's going to know. Right. Um, so yeah, if, if you want to do more 3d work and you're a 2d artist or, or whatnot, and you're doing more personal projects and you're uh, pushing your skills in that 3d realm and you're posting more about that, you're going to attract those types of clients or those types of jobs. Right. So, um, I'm a firm believer in that as well. So I will second, third, fourth, fifth, that as a great tip. Any, uh, any other thoughts or, or, you know, advice, uh, things that anyone else has gotten over the years. And if not all good, we can wrap this thing up. Um, yeah, cool. All right. 
Well, we'll just wrap it. Um, so thank you very much for joining this week. Uh, fantastic discussion. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, and I guess, you know, before we actually hop off, I want to do, I want to pose a question to the group and feel free. You don't have to raise your hand or anything, but if you want to just hop in, do you like this format of the open discussion stuff, or should we do more of like bring in a guest and a topic or just pose a topic each week and have people, you know, come uh, and discuss that? Or do people like the, you know, kind of open discussion? We don't really know where each week may take us. I would say probably a mixture. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's good to get, you know, uh, bring in someone specific and get, uh, perspectives or a topic discussed, um, but there are times too, and I think it's good to just sort of feel the pulse of the of the community and and see you know what's what and uh, totally yeah. no I I agree too I I do like having these open discussions because you just never know what might come up um, and if we can be a little bit more um, on topic or relevant like if. if new things are coming up and we want to talk about that. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, go ahead, Roland. Yeah, I typed something out in the, uh, some of us have been typing out in the chat. <laughs> so Mark, maybe you should have a look, please. Oh yeah. Um, make sure I'm seeing it all. Uh, yeah. Mashby saying, what are people doing for networking these days? Yeah, I don't know if, does anyone want to speak to that? Or alternatively too, we could kind of like pause that question and bring that in for next week and kind of start with, with that to kick off the discussion. But yeah, I think that's a, it's a great discussion. It's one of those things that I also feel like is constantly evolving, you know, um, the attention for networking from LinkedIn to all the different social things. Um, um, you know, it, it changes. And now with the, the return of a lot of in-person events, um, I think it, that's, in my opinion, that's always the strongest networking is, is getting face to face with people. Um, but yeah. Um, Maybe we can dive a little bit deeper into that next week as well. Um, one person that I would love to get on and I'll reach out to her is um, Shay Lord, because she's been doing a lot of stuff on LinkedIn and gathering a lot of like um, information. I think she has a survey going on right now on just like um, freelance rates and how busy you are and all that. Just trying to get uh, a little bit of uh state of the industry with that. Um, so I'll hit her up to see if she would be interested in coming in uh, to one of these and sharing her experience and any of her findings that she's been kind of um, gathering on LinkedIn. Um, but I see Jacob, you've got your hand up. Go ahead. Yeah, I would say that I like the mix of two, but I remember we had the chat in MDA Slack about the roller. So I would definitely love to learn about that. Maybe chat with Joey. Yeah, totally. Awesome. I'm going to make some notes right now. Um, and for those who don't know, 
actually, this kind of goes hand in hand with the networking question. I think a lot of the networking stuff for uh, meeting other artists and whatnot are all these various Slack channels that um, our industry does have. There's the MDA Slack. Uh, there's the MoGraph.com Slack. There's a, uh, I think there's a Grayscale Gorilla Discord. Um, trying to think. There's, geez, there's too many. <laughs> I think sometimes I've got a lot just in the queue here. I'm trying to find all my my icons and stuff, but there's some great resources out there. And again, we're in an awesome industry where people love to share and, you know, talk with other artists. So if you're not in any of those slacks, I would encourage you to um, try to find uh, the links to those and I'll put those links in the show notes. Um, but yeah, it, to just fill you in on what Jacob was saying too, in the MDA Slack, there was a bit of a discussion on on Rolo and the work coming through that. So it'd be interesting to hear more from Joey on, on what they're doing with Rolo specifically for the artists, because I think the, the website with Rolo is geared more towards your studio owners or agency owners and kind of the, the vibe I'm getting from a lot of artists is that, um, you're just kind of putting your name in a big black hat and you have no idea. Are people looking at your profile or like, it, it just seems like an, another site. Like they've always been, <laughs> I hope it's not like that. I hope people do get work and all, all that through the site, but I would love to learn more and even to learn more about what they have in store and what they're planning. Cause again, this is, I think they just rolled it out. Uh, a month or two ago. So um, we'll, we'll hit up Joey to see if he has time and wants to talk. Cause I think this is also a great platform for someone like that to come speak to all the artists. We, we get a lot of artists each week on these calls. And again, our recording numbers are higher than ever. So seems like people are enjoying what's happening here. So I think getting that exposure, um, for Joey and for the artists would be great. Um, Roland, uh, pop on in and then we'll we'll wrap this up. Yeah, I, I saw that that thread and the MDA on Slack. My question now is, is and I'm not too familiar with Rolo, I've heard about it. Do folks like us have to pay to get on, on it? No, from my understanding, um, you have you have to be invited to be on the right. platform as an artist. So you need a right. referral code. Once okay. you get that referral code, you have to go mm -hmm. through and you essentially fill out your profile with, you know, mm -hmm. all your stuff. Um, and then um, you're reviewed. Essentially there's, there's a, a board or whoever's essentially curating the artists that are on there. You either get approved or, denied if you get denied you can apply again three months later so it's not like you're shut out or whatnot all right um, my important is 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 whether any artist has to pay to get on board that's that's the gist of uh, you know yeah if i mean cost us anything then then i don't think it's, it's that much of an issue if if there's a charge you get onto it and there's a huge question mark whether anything's going to be forthcoming then not right. so sweet, right? 
Totally. And it, from my understanding too, the, the fees and all of the subscriptions and all that come from the studios and the agencies, they have to pay to get that Rolodex essentially. Um, mm -hmm. But I think uh, what sparked out of that MDA Slack convo was um, a lot of artists just being like, you know, what the fuck? Like, I, I have no idea if I'm like looking good as a profile or are people looking at my profile? Am I, you know, so it seems like this big kind of black hole that the artists just don't really know. Um, so anyway, I, I'm going to reach out to Joey for sure. And we'll get him on. Um, and that should be a good one. But anyway, uh, we'll wrap up for today. Thank you all so much for being a part of this again um communities are i hate to say there's such a buzzword now but like definitely grateful for everyone that shows up and listens to this because we you know we've been doing this for a while and it's really rad to see people still interested in it <laughs> so uh thank you and i will chop this up as fast as i can and get it posted once we get the recording yeah we'll see you back here next week 10 a.m eastern 7 a.m pacific 2 p.m utc i think that's right i can never keep it <laughs> anyway um thanks again have a great week and we'll see you next monday bye